Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming to you from (laughs) my kitchen. Uh, This is inside curling. Speaking of inside, uh, it's minus 34 here in Edmonton. And uh, with the wind chill, it's uh, minus 182. We're joined once again for this special edition by our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Warren Hanson and Kevin Martin. Kevin, you're in Edmonton. Uh, You and I have decided we're going to (laughs) hibernate. That is correct. Until the end of April and uh, never come out. This is a special show. It's our last show uh, before the new year. We've got two guests who are coming on with a giant announcement. We're going to take a look at what's happening around the curling world, and the rest of the show is going to be dedicated to the mailbag. Let me thank our sponsors, Sports Interaction. Uh, You want to lay a bet down on some curling, you can do it through Sports Interaction. Also, around the curling world, Nestle Boost and the sponsor of Mailbag, Coyote Tractor, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics, and Goldline, who is bringing you our guest spot called In The House. Goldline Curling Equipment can be found at pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event, online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. So I was just talking to our guest. He said, hey, a little more energy, fellas, Okay. I'm excited about this, <laughs> and I agree. It is a huge announcement. Nick Adine is going to join us. Of course, Nick is the Olympic gold medal champion and the world champion. Ryland Hartland we've had on before, and here's a little teaser. Uh, he is from Curling Live and the Players Tours CEO, and uh, these guys have gotten together with some other folks to bring you something very special. And uh, Ryland, Thanks so much for, for having me in uh, on the podcast today. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So without me going into it, uh, Ryland, where I see some details of it now, why don't you tell the curling world what's happening? For sure, yeah. I mean, I think that this announcement today is is one that's long overdue. Um, you know, it's a really interesting time. There are very complicated challenges facing this sport. And I think we are dealing with with a game that is largely, I believe, being underpromoted. Um, I think that, you know, as I mentioned in, in the previous podcast, you know, there are prize purses that haven't really grown in the last 20 years. Curlers have to make tough decisions right now about staying involved in this sport. I, I think that the current system of communication within curling could definitely be improved. We have a really segmented tour. Event schedules come out at different times. Events are added sort of arbitrarily to schedules. Rule changes can take place without enough consideration, really, of the players. And, you know, there's sort of a lack of consistency from event to event. And players don't really know what to expect each week. So, 
the players don't really have a very equitable position in, in many of the conversations that, that are being had in the sport. You know, this is their livelihood. So I think that our idea of players tour is now including a, a players association and a players group. And we are committed to building systems within our tour that will enhance the game. So these are systems that are going to work from the bottom up. You know, where authority is going to come from elected representatives who are elected by the tour members' teams, and where every team can be given an opportunity to vote and speak their mind and elect representatives to what will be an association that guides the tour. So this association can meet on a regular basis to discuss the most important decisions for our tour into future seasons. And by doing this, I believe that more control can finally be placed back in the hands of the players. You know, we can empower these curlers to come together on important issues. We can accelerate growing the sport worldwide. And we can represent the players in in all matters of the game, from points to prize money, cresting, registrations, and really get a lot done um, if we have effective communication in the sport. So we're hoping this is going to promote professionalism and allow for new shared marketing branding opportunities. And as of today, we're we're really proud to announce that 10 of the world's top athletes have signed a legal ladder as representatives to form this new association uh, from all major areas of the curling world. So those are in Europe, Nicodine, who's on the call today, uh, Sylvana Tiranzoni. In U.S., uh, we've got Corey Dropkin and Tabitha Peterson. In Canada, we have Tyler Tardy and Emma Miskew. And in Pacific Asia, we have Anna Omaya and J.D. Lind. There are also next-gen athletes included here with Tanner Horgan and Mackenzie Zacharias. So this is our interim leadership group. And there are dozens of other athletes and builders that are contributing to this and will be included here. And we've already had some of those athletes sign an additional letter of support for the association. And that's a really great way for them to get involved too. But you know, we plan to host a couple of town halls, get people involved and, and you know, understanding this thing. And, and that's part of why we're here on the podcast today. Holy whammo. <laughs> man, oh man. Big news, bigger than I said it was. Does that mean guys who are currently curling on the Grand Slam or teams in Canada, for example, who want to go to the Briar, that would be through Curling Canada, are they now out? of those and, and going to curl in your new association? No, no, we, we don't see it as something that, that competes directly with existing groups at this time. It, we see it as something that is intended to enhance communication and give the players sort of a singular voice to tackle certain issues within the sport. So not really competing then with the other tours? We're more in a position where we want to collaborate with, with existing associations, uh, bring the players' input into the conversation, um, and have a little bit more uh, of a say with with what's going on. And then with our tour events specifically that we're running with Players Tour and some of the stuff we're doing with Curling Live, you know, we've already committed to to having more of a direct, uh, you know, relationship with the players on this and making some changes as the players see fit. Yeah. Have you spoken to Curling Canada? We have. We've spoken to Nolan Thiessen uh, and had a couple of conversations around scheduling and a few things there. Um, we've spoken with WCF. We've had good conversations with Bo and Jill. And uh, I know, Nick, you've spoken to Benoit and you know a few others uh, in these associations. And it's been, you know, generally it's been well received. Nick Adeen would be the biggest name on that list of 10 people. He joins us right now. Nick, what's up, man? Why did you do this? Hello. Um, right now, I'm uh, mostly recovering, so it's kind of uh, bad timing. But when I got in, I wasn't injured. So then I thought it was a great idea, first of all. Right. Most of all, just uh, get the players kind of uh, together, uh, see how we can improve our sport. So that was kind of my way of going into this. It's kind of like if I can impact curling as a whole, maybe not just one tour or one event or one part of a small tour somewhere. 
hopefully we can impact all of curling and maybe make voices heard and decisions made for the whole of curling. Uh, that's my goal, at least. So lots of great uh, people in this group, and we will have a lot of good discussions for sure. So, Nick, what, um, you know, besides what you just said now, uh, you know, Ryland spoke a lot about it uh, at the beginning to give us an idea of the premise for it. Is it something, Nick, that you did because you wanted the way curling is now to change and that this would offer you something different? Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, the, the sport has become a lot more professional in, the, in like during my career. Uh, I started be- because of the Olympics, basically, watching it on TV in 98. Uh, and I kind of feel that with the exposure we have right now, I think we just should have tenfold the salaries we have across the globe with the number of viewers we have and the, like everything just probably should have come longer or farther than it has to this point. So I'm at a stage of my career where I'm not sure how many more years I will keep going full time. And it's basically going to be financial reasons that will force me to stop. The communication has never been easy, especially between different tours and and getting everyone to work together. Full-time curlers to know what to expect year to year. Uh, Events change, dates change, and the different tours seem to kind of almost compete against each other. So for for the players to try and compete like 18 events a year, go full-time and and making a living and really having a good schedule for families back home and maybe other works on the side or whatever it might be it's just really tough to get everything going it's every year is a is a new challenge so i kind of want to look into if we can improve curling as a whole uh so for especially for the elite level i guess but if that can give good things to everyone under the elite level too then then it's perfect but i think we we got to look into the the professional tours first of all uh, and then if we can make that work i hope uh, uh, that can give just a lot more people good chance of maybe becoming full-time curlers in the future i know the boys are champing at the bit here to ask you some questions uh, i'll throw it to kevin well thanks first of all guys for coming on nick good to see you i hope you're uh, healing up nicely over these last few weeks rylan one thing i wanted to ask you is um over the last many many years warren was involved in a in a in a group that tried to get a players uh, association, a group together. I was as well in the mid nineties and I went really, really well actually for quite a while, but then I'm not sure if it fizzled out is the right way to term it, but um, it ended, I guess what, what's going to make this group different and uh, longstanding. There's so many different associations and there've been multiple attempts, like you just said, uh, to form players associations in the past. And, you know, you, Kevin and Warren, like you've been a big part of a couple of those and there's a variety of positive changes that have actually come uh, from those those previous groups. And there are some reasons I also think that those groups didn't last as long as maybe they should have. Um, and I think there's some things happening with this group that are going to make a big difference there for maybe succeeding long-term with a group like this. So, I mean, we're, we're starting with a very clear, defined system of communication. You know, we have some things in place uh, to use technology to help the curlers communicate within this group to get some work done. We aren't collecting any fees without a clear plan. You know, we're making sure that this is going to be sound for the players and anything that eventually potentially costs money, anything that we want to tackle in the future, those budgets and those costs will be voted on by all players that are involved. You know, I think we have very clear, simple, definable goals, which is keeping it a little bit easier to to keep track of. And we have a really balanced and inclusive uh, representation from across the sport. You know, we're including Pacific Asia in this sort of group for, you know, maybe the first time ever. 
And I think there's, you know, uh, some pretty interesting stuff geographically, like we've kept it completely equal in our interim leadership group between men and women. Uh, we have representation there from mixed doubles and next gen. Um, you know, we're really trying to take a holistic view on, you know, not just where the sport has been, but where the sport is headed. And, you know, all of this, you know, is kind of, you know, treating this thing professionally, uh, I think will go a really, really long way. If we can create a system that is repeatable for this for future athletes, then, you know, once the first few goals are are tackled and achieved, and once we have, you know, communication and a few things handled with scheduling or whatever else the players decide on, um, you know, then we can repeat this for many seasons to come. And, you know, the players right now are working really closely with me to try to create bylaws and systems for that to, to happen. So that way, in four years time or 10 years time or 100 years time, um, you know, we can get the right people in place uh, and, and make this repeatable to benefit the sport over and over again. So you've got you've got a representation, which I think is absolutely fantastic, you guys from all over the world. Do the players in certain areas vote on those areas or do players vote overall? Because this would be an interim board that you're starting with before elections can take place. Yeah. I'm just kind of wondering the structure, um, the voting structure for the for the individual players around the world. There are issues that I think are universal in the sport, but then I think there's also issues that are regional or, or specific to the men's or women's game or mixed doubles. You know, there have been a few athletes uh, that have put forward ideas for categorical voting. Um, and what we, what this would enable us to do would be to say that there are certain things that the entire group, the entire uh, PA body uh, votes on. Uh, and then there are other things that if it's specific to, you know, the Briar or the Scotties, then you just have Canadian athletes voting for those things. Or if it's specific to next gen and developing, you have more of a voice there. And you can start to weight the vote, uh, you know, specific or even completely to the type of issue that you're trying to tackle to make sure that nobody's stepping on each other's toes. But still communicating these things as a group, I think, has a huge benefit. And then, you know, other curlers from around the world can share their concerns or maybe talk about how they do it differently in their part of the world. And, you know, having that sort of cross-pollination of ideas and having that sort of conversation with athletes, um, I think gives everybody sort of the full picture and, and you know, we're, we're able to really, you know, uh, help and support each other as we go through these issues, even if they are regional. Great. Well, congratulations, guys, on uh, this accomplishment. As Kevin mentioned, I tried back in the 70s to get this going, and we were pretty successful for about five years, and then things sort of came, came apart, but uh, we did have five pretty good years, so... I'm wishing you all the best and hope that this is able to to work. Nick, let me ask you a question about uh, the WCF because they got to be part of this, I think, for it to all move forward. They have an athletes commission. How is this going to work comfortably with them? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think we have a lot of different players uh, associations around the world, uh, working or not working, uh, and WCF being the biggest organization, we obviously need to work with them. And hopefully they want to work with us as well. So hopefully it's it's not a challenge at all. I think we can basically help help each other. A lot of good ideas, a lot of top players, uh, a lot of former players also in, involved in, especially WCF, obviously. We can deal with the same kind of questions and hopefully just maybe get the player's voice heard a little bit more. That's at least what I'm hoping for. And I think that's something that definitely the WCF will be interested in. They ask a lot of questions um, after each event and, and want to improve the sport all, the whole time according to all the rules. And I think from the players' point of view, I think uh, it's very difficult to get our voices heard as a unit. More often, just a big pull of questions and you get a lot of thousands answers for, from across the world, but maybe not looking into exactly what the top players or the kind of grand slam or a championship level are addressing here. So I think 
getting a group together like this, very important for me as well, that it was uh, gender equal and from all the parts of the world. So including the Asian region as well, where we would like to compete more, to be honest. And I think they have huge potential as well, both in terms of good players, good ice conditions, good organizations to, to host good events, and also a lot of big sponsor potential there to really grow the sport of curling. I don't think we can do it without Asia. Um, so for me, to, to just include everyone, and that would obviously include the WCF and the Grand Slam and the European Tour, and now the, the new started Nordic Tour and a lot of other tours as well. So my hope is that we can get everyone together a little bit more. And and I can't really see any of these other organizations having a problem with that because we're not going to try to compete against them too much. It's it's more going to be figuring things out together, hopefully for everyone to benefit from this going forward. Yeah, I always look at the uh, the commission type of uh, thing with the WCF Curling Canada is the fact that those are appointed people and it's not really, you're not really sure uh, exactly who are they represented? They've got ideas, but is that the ideas of the of the general curling populace at that level? Hard to say. So, Rylan, you guys have put this together. Uh, you've got some objectives without question. What are your top three objectives going forward initially with this idea? Yeah, just to add to the previous point, I really, I really view this less like a union and more like a partnership between players and events and players and existing associations to enhance things. So, you know, I think some of our, our top goals, if I were to pick three, were probably, um, you know, improving communication, improving scheduling. So it's a little bit more efficient for traveling teams and things like that, more affordable. And, you know, I think we can also, you know, help players and partners and events to make this whole tour work. You know, I think creating a little bit more of a, a system week to week that's consistent, um, whether it be, you know, the draws you see at these events or player wellness or, you know, just certain expectations that you may have. Like you know, if the players are able to get together and really put down like exactly what they want uh, to see at these events, then at least at the events that we're governing, we're hoping other associations as well that they're governing will listen to these these points and, and implement some of these things to, to have a more organized uh, series of events in the future um we're gonna have players all over the world going wow i want to be part of this how do they get to be part of this sign the letter read the documents how does that happen how do how do young up-and-coming players who really want to be involved who love this idea get involved when i got involved it was with curling live and going to these events and just talking to players and teams and you know players at these events are sharing different ideas all the time. Like, you know, there's a number of players that have great ideas and, you know, we want all of that input here uh, at the table as we sort of form this. So, you know, what we're doing right now is we're setting up sort of regular town hall meetings um, where you're able to go through some of the documents that we've currently created and also add and share your ideas and concerns. And if you want to share those things, then then we can talk through it as a group. And by the end of those meetings, um, you know, once we've had those conversations with a player, uh, you're then given the opportunity to sign the letter of support if you would like like to you know you're not forced to it's free to if you want to and um, you know by just attending one of those meetings you're you're then able to become a part of this and you know as long as you're competing you know on, on the existing tour you're you're able to be a part of this well i just think it's crucial uh before we get worn back in here that the that these players all feel welcome people that are 15 years old that love the right. game and, and want to be part of it and be a nicodine that's great, but wouldn't that be fantastic to have all of them involved in this thing right 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 away? So that was kind of my point. You want all these all the young curlers and curlers from all over the world to be part of the town halls and they're going to happen in all countries, guys? It happens virtually, right? So it, it happens, you know, literally digitally online. You can get invited or you can talk to your player rep that we mentioned at the start of the podcast and, and they can loop you in. And essentially, like, you know, another point there with the younger uh, demographic and the younger curlers, like, 
this is why it's so important to have next gen. You know, like one of the most excited groups that we have when we go into these meetings right now are the young players that want to see a system like this. You know, there's there's a ton of young athletes that are concerned about, you know, the future of curling, their future in curling, you know, they're fighting for that livelihood. And I think that right now, the way that events are connected and, you know, getting involved with the existing system can be really, really hard to navigate. So people like that we have, like Tanner and Mackenzie, have been super supportive of, you know, wanting to create programming that that helps sort of nurture young athletes and and just allows them to have somewhere to sort of reach out to, uh, to understand things like the point system and get more involved with events. As we work on this, we hope we can build systems to connect uh, events from, you know, smaller events to larger events. And, you know, if we do that, it, there'll be a little bit better programming and a little bit more of a, a light at the end of the tunnel for some of these, these athletes that are maybe thinking about leaving curling around the age of 23 or 24 right now, you know, if we build these systems. Rylan, you guys are in the unique position with a sport like curling that it it involves everybody from around the world. Baseball doesn't do that. Hockey doesn't, and the NFL doesn't. Even soccer, right? They play leagues within their own country. But this thing is, you know, curling is very unique that way. Is it something that, that when you look at it, uh, Ryan, it might be a little bit overwhelming to, to try and do an all-encompassing thing? And I always thought poor Nick and these guys over in Sweden, they always got to come over here to play. Are there going to be, you know, some of the events that you're going to do, are they going to go around the world or is it basically going to be in, in North America? Yeah, like there's still some details that we're working out with players tours specifically um, on the tour side that, you know, we want to see new audiences. And, you know, that's become like a really big part of our goals. So, I mean, we're only going to do that by being able to put events in other areas of the world. Um, You know, that may take a little bit of time. Um, But I know for players like Nick, and I'll let him speak to this in a minute here, like, you know, I think it's really important that we make it a little bit more affordable for athletes to get from event to event. I think there's a better way to schedule these events. You know, the schedule from WCF and, and Sportsnet and otherwise, like, it's it's kind of penciled until 2026 right now. So things that we could be doing better is, you know, thinking about the regions where certain events are held, planning around those events a little bit better, and maybe building systems and program help players get to those events. So these are some of the things that we're working on with this group. And Nick, maybe you can talk just to the challenges that athletes face, even in Canada. I mean, Canada's really big, but traveling athletes face uh, with the existing tour system. Yeah, I mean, that's always been a, a big challenge for us. When, when we started, we uh, kind of had to come over to Canada to, to just play the top teams and get the experience we needed to be a factor, basically. And that's also where all the all the potential money is. And if you want to go full-time, if you don't have a ton of government funding or stuff like that, which I don't think is as common as most people think, it's really a struggle to kind of get the budget together to travel four people across the globe, basically 200 days a year. So that almost has to change. Otherwise, you're always just going to cover costs. You got to be a little nuts like we are to, to keep doing that for that long. But I just think like we are too good a sport with too much interest not to be able to do this full time and actually get a good living at least while doing it and then if we don't have a huge bank account afterwards then so be it but at least during the careers with millions of viewerships then i really think we should start finding better solutions uh, at least for the top level players and then like you said kevin if we can bring a lot of younger kids and curlers on board on this as well that thinks it's a good idea and hopefully when they are my age then they've had a long and good career and and also have some some money left in the bank account that would be ideal uh riley before we let you guys go uh you know warren had asked you about sort of your three goals you've listed those 10 names uh in curling which are 
Boy, if you're going to get 10, those would be <laughs> most of the people who you want. What is the number one objective or number one concern that, say, these 10 people have, Ryan, if you could put your finger on it, saying this is what I'm hearing from everyone right away, right off the top, that needs to change? Player compensation is part of this, but it's it's sort of a much broader issue. I think it's about promotion and communication. And in particular, I think the thing that we really need to be focused on right now is creating a system of communication that lasts many years for these players that you know allows us to have better leadership, allows us to have things run a little bit more smoothly with the tour. Um, you know, if I could pick just one thing, I think it would just be, you know, making sure we make communication the priority right now. You know, it doesn't cost a lot of money, it just costs time to focus on and get it right. And if we do that, then then all the players, all the events, all the things that we're trying to do will be much easier. Uh, boys, this is fantastic. I'm sure there's bigger and better things to come for you guys, but what a start and uh, what what big news for curling. Uh, Nick, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, before you go, Nick, did your team ever sit you down and say, you know, Nick, we've been winning here without you. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine you know, don't be afraid Nick if you want to relax you know we'll handle the next event you just stay there get make sure you get healthy I, I think that talk will uh, will come yeah pretty soon here no I'm I, I'm uh, just focusing on getting back like our team as soon as I can before they get those kind of idea- ideas <laughs> Ryland Hartland Nick Adine, uh big news man that is really big news and we appreciate you coming on Inside Curling to bust it open and uh, tell the curling world about it um, and if you want to make some comments about insidecurling at gmail.com and you can uh, give us your thoughts, everybody, on, on what you think. Uh, Merry Christmas, boys. Happy New Year. Uh, I'm, sure you got, I'm sure you got lots to do, although it's supposed to be a holiday, but I don't think you'll be getting much time off, Ryland or uh, Nick. So good luck, boys, with the endeavor. Way to go. Well done. Congratulations, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Previously in Painting the Pitch Red, we've looked at the history of Canadian soccer. But in our season finale, we joined the Reds through their drama-filled World Cup campaign. I think we are, we're pinching ourselves. It's, um, it's just real now. It's getting more real by the hour. I can't watch a sporting event that big in an environment like that. Yeah, Roberto Martinez said after the game that Canada were the better team. I've never in my life felt that kind of energy in, in a stadium. It just gives me goosebumps in talking about it. And the headline says, you have the mouth, but do you have the balls? The John Herdman thing is what, one of the top five stories of the World Cup now? This is the biggest load of garbage I have ever read. Henry Standage joining us. Give us the reason to believe in yeah. this team this year. Join us at the end of our present day journey. Painting the Pitch Red, Chapter 4, Qatar's Canvas, out now. Is that as big a story as I'm letting on it is? It's a, a massive amount of work um, those guys will have would have done over the last few months to get this together. It's huge. The idea of a voice worldwide. Ours, the one we got going in the mid-90s, it went all the way through to the mid to end of uh, 2006, 2007, 2008. We're primarily Canadian and primarily top players. And I like the sounds of it where you're bringing in the young kids, the ones that are just coming up worldwide. The board is split uh, across the world, half female, half male, and from all around the world. I think it's terrific, It's but it's bigger news than I think you probably uh, said, actually, Jim. 
Well, even bigger. Warren, should I skip over you? You probably have nothing to say about this. Well, I think it's a huge accomplishment, and it's uh, it's a difficult situation, and they've done a lot of work already to get to this point. Uh, I look back when I've tried to do this in the 70s, and I was at that point in time traveling a lot with my other operations, but I met with uh, people in practically every city from Ontario west and a couple even in the east as well during the course of probably three or four months to try and get people inside because at that time everybody thought it was a challenging the curling curling canada and uh, mcdonald tobacco and uh, which it uh, it wasn't again the intent at all we were trying to get people organized on particular the bonspiel circuit which was all over the map and more more localized then but uh, we were able to be successful for about six years we actually did start an event that uh, was unique. I won't get into how it was operated, but we tr- tried some new rules in it, such as the button was worth two points. And so we experimented. We did a lot of good, I thought a lot of good things, advanced things forward a bit, but it again fell apart. And I think again, we had all the old dogs involved. And I think they kind of got tired, they got too old, and we didn't have the, the younger up and coming people part of it. And I think that's the key here. Mm-hmm. They've got to have that next gen bunch working with them and they're going to be the ones that benefit mostly from it, not the current guys. Right. So so Kevin, uh, let's look at the Grand Slam, for example. Okay, that's on Sportsnet all the time, of course. Is this something this group, Ryland and the boys and girls, will sit down with Grand, the Grand Slam of Curling and say, look, at, we, we would like something to change we would like these things to change is that the idea behind this association well anytime you have a players group i think it's really important that um the grand slam group talk to them but everybody should be you know because they're the players so they bring the ideas and what if there are changes that are needed um then they can bring it to the forefront and not just with the grand slam group but with the world curling federation curling canada the various associations around the globe um and that's what's really, really important. It's yeah, for decisions to be made without the players being consulted, it just doesn't make any sense because they're the ones who live and breathe the sport. That's why it's so important, and uh, and that's just not the case right now. You have some players' representation, but they're handpicked by associations. So like, I don't give that much because yeah, who do they really represent when they, when they're handpicked by a group? Do they represent the players? Maybe. Do they represent the association? Right, probably more likely because they're handpicked by that association. So this is much better where it's voted by the players around the world. They vote in their representatives. And if you don't like what your representative's doing, next time you vote, they're turfed. And you bring in somebody that does see the picture of the players, which is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, good luck to these guys. I I really hope it goes well. I kind of think it will when you're involving all the world and all the youth and equal split between female and male. I, I, it's a great idea. If you were part of this group, Warren, what would you say would be your first concern? What would you, what would you want to table right away and say, okay, fine, but this is what we have to look at? Well, I think Nick's got the right idea long-term. They've got to get more money in the game. And Kevin and I talk a lot about that, not on this show, but we talk a lot about, about things that can be done and how that may be able to be moved. I think the first thing they've got to do, they've got to coordinate all these various events and things that are happening as far as how they're operated, the rules that are going to be used right down the line, that there starts to be a common approach to how everything is t- that's taking place, even within, in, in national associations, so that it, there's consistency. 
I look at a thing that, that's a, a mess as well as just the athlete cresting. Practically every week, every event they go into, there's different rules in it. And that needs to be the same across the board. So it's a bunch of stuff like that I think they have to try and get uh, common ground on is probably their first approach. Okay, very good. Thank you to Nick. Thank you to Ryland. What's happening around the curling world is brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. And, of course, that means curling. you got to be 19 and in Ontario, and please play responsibly. Kevin, big announcement yesterday with the Reed Carruthers team. What's up? This is a lot of big announcements for one show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the word got out that, uh, and Carruthers team actually had a good year. So I, so I read and I had a chat, actually, we, uh, talked on the phone for a while and it was just a fact, I guess, according to Reed that like, but I, I told her, I said, you guys had a pretty good year going, but he just didn't see, um, the path of the team being what he was hoping it would be. Um, just didn't see the, the future going in the direction that he, really wanted and so between him and and jason um they thought you know what maybe it's best to just cut ties right now and try to build teams the sooner the better most times you'd wait till the end of the year you know but that's a few more months and you know this is kind of the 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 year the first of the quad where you can try things and if they don't work okay you've still got the three years before the olympic games again so that's kind of the thinking there is just uh, it wasn't going the way they expected or wanted so, okay, well, that's all right. They're really good friends anyway. They're going to continue to be friends. There's no problem that way. It's just they weren't on ice, wasn't going the way they wanted. Generally, Kev, if that happened, and you were the skip, if you were Reed, are you out trying to steal players from other teams? You're trying to snap a guy or two? And if you know, if you have an idea, who do you think they may be looking at? I don't really have an idea of who I'll have some ideas. There's always this Brad Jacobs guy who's floating in the weeds who, you know, he hasn't been playing in the in four-person curling, but obviously one of the best curlers in the world. So he's, it's funny, Reed did say, and I'm not going to say any names or anything, but he did say that as soon as the announcement came out, a whole bunch of messages were sent to him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not like, it's funny, you know, everybody's got teams, but this is the year where you can afford to change it up at the end of it. Even some teams that are four-person teams right now, it's not all happy in paradise, you know, like sometimes there's some, some things not going exactly the way other teams were hoping. And now this is an opportunity to play with a guy at the level of a Reed Carruthers. And, uh, there'll be other teams that aren't happy with their year so far. So maybe they're willing to, to do the little bit of shuffling at the end of this season. You, you said, uh, it's something you can do now because the, the timing is right. Is that because the Olympics are still far away? That's why it's the right time to do it. Exactly. It's the first year of the, of the quadrennial. And this was the year when you try out a new team. And if things aren't just right, you can afford to change because once you get into year two and year three, you need to build points as a team and get right. better as a team to have any chance of representing Canada, uh, or whatever country you're from in the Olympic games. We've got to finish up the show quick because. Warren's going to shovel some coal into his furnace. <laughs> Good luck to Reed getting a new team put together. Last week, we talked a little bit about an event that is taking place in Finland and that Canada is a part of for the first time, the World Junior B Championship. The men's side was completed last week and the three nations out of the 21 competing that will now be part of the World Juniors in the spring of 2023 are China, Italy, and Turkey. Canada finished third. Darn, we didn't grab a gold again uh, in the World Junior Men's last year and already qualified as a result of the third place position. 
This week, the women's side was completed, and Canada was part of 25 nations attempting to grab one of the last three spots on the women's side of things. Warren, bring us up to speed on all of that. Yes, interesting situation. I think a lot of people in Canada didn't realize that for the first time ever, our juniors had to go and and fight for their lives. And uh, I think a big uh, tip has to go out to that team that went over. This is a very difficult situation. You're going in there against 25 other nations, only three qualify, and you're fighting for Canada's life at the world junior women's level. And uh, a big congratulations have to go out to that team from Nova Scotia because they went through that event undefeated. In the final, they defeated Scotland 5-4, to four, so they came out as the number one team out of there, Scotland number two. And in the other game, the bronze medal game, interesting score, Korea defeated Turkey 11-10. to 10. I would like to see in that game. Wow. This wasn't a slam dunk. I mean, I was looking back through the scores, and this is in the eights where it was a sudden death knockout. Canada's playing against Hungary, and after six ends, they were down 4-2. to two. And they got a four-ender in the seventh, which allowed them to win that game six to four. But uh, this wasn't a slam dunk by any far stretch of the imagination. So great congratulations to that team because they were fighting some difficult situations as well. Because of what Canada did last year, and in, fa- in, in fact, taking the team to the World Juniors a year after they won, the skip of that team, uh, Taylor Stevens, aged out. And as a result, she wasn't able to play with the team in this competition in Finland. Mm-hmm. And they had to pick up a replacement. It was the skip of the team they defeated in the Canadian final last year, Emily DeShane from Ontario. So they had a new skip, and uh, that's never easy at any point in time, never mind going in and fighting for your country's life. So a big uh, congratulations to that team. Job well done and uh, went through that thing undefeated. Yeah. Uh, the old the old uh, issue of aging out again uh, rears its ugly head, Warren. Uh, we talked about it in the last couple of shows, so if you want to go back and listen to that, we tackled that topic. Uh, thanks, Warren, for that. Not much was happening this past week on the competitive side in Canada, but there was a mixed doubles event taking place in Brantford, Ontario, an event known as the Mixed Doubles Players Championship. Uh, Kevin, bring us up to speed on who won and all the other jazz with that. Well, yeah, I'm going to bring you up to speed on a couple of mixed doubles events, but the Super Series, yes, and uh, kind of interesting, out of Estonia, Maria Colvi and uh, and Harry Lill actually won won against uh, Jenny Prey names you'll know Jimmy mm-hmm. Jenny Prey and Martin Rios out of sure. Switzerland a fantastic mixed doubles team they actually beat them eleven two in the final so out of Estonia uh, you have the champions of the Super Series so once again we're talking about all these nations you know Warren just mentioned Turkey in the World Junior Men's and now Turkey almost getting into the World Junior Ladies. You know, it's just new countries coming up, which is fantastic. Also, there's a mixed doubles event also in Leduc. And I just want to mention that uh, Rachel Holman and Tyler Tardy won that event, beating Selena Sturmey and Kyler Kleibrink in the final there, 7 nothing. So another big mixed doubles event. And, you know, I know Warren really likes it when we start talking about all these mixed doubles events all over the place because it's uh, great growth. There are a f- few other small events, but those are the two uh, big results, I think. And Rachel Holman isn't very busy, so it's nice you got a chance to finally curl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that event in Brantford as well, it had some of the best mixed doubles teams in the world in it. Um, number one team in the world, Dodds Mullet, they were there. Uh, as Kevin mentioned, Martin Griffiths, who are number four. Walker Myers, number eight. Weagle Epping, number nine. And Jones Lang, number 11. So 
Out of the top 10 teams in the world of mixed doubles, six of them were there. So that was a pretty significant event. Yeah, big one for sure. Uh, Warren, there was a club that was 100 years old. Uh, sadly, that closed. Why, Warren? What happened? I don't know what to say about this. I'll have Kevin jump in here at the end. The fact that the Granite Club in Saskatoon that's 100 years old has announced that it's going to close its doors at the end of this season. Do you know that in Canada, there are 18 curling clubs called the Granite Club? <laughs> There's 11, 11 in Ontario, two in Alberta, two in BC, two in Saskatchewan, and one in Manitoba. So it's a pretty common name for a curling club, but this story is becoming too common. The club ran into some issues with their refrigeration equipment and uh, going to cost a significant amount to repair it and fix it. And uh, as a result, they don't have the funds and the membership isn't uh, such that they can assess them, the costs. And as a result, they've they've elected to close the doors. Uh, not the fact that they don't have members and don't have people wanting to curl. They just don't, don't have a facility that's going to be functional next year. And again, I look back to this is the provincial associations that have got to grab a hold of this. And it's got to be lobbies to the cities involved and to the province involved that these curling facilities are no different than any other recreation facility in the cities. And they've got to become part of what's taking place here. City of Saskatoon should be in there making sure this doesn't happen. Uh, this is just craziness. And I know they've had other issues in Saskatoon before that the city refusing to get involved in any way, shape, or form. And it's the curling association that needs to be taking forward the entire voice of the of the curling clubs of Saskatchewan to the cities and the provincial government to do something about this, along with the cost of hydro. And I'll bet you, among other things, that a club in Saskatoon, they're probably paying property taxes as well. It's not the only one. I did a little research and found out in BC, there's two clubs that are in a similar situation. Uh, the Duncan Curling Club. Again, ice plant problems. The Nelson Curling Club, 124-year-old club. And both of these clubs, again, have announced that if they do not get some funds, somewhere between fifty dollars and $75,000, they're going to have to close. I found out about these two. Guess what? They have a GoFundMe uh, appeal out on the GoFundMe page to come and try and bail these people out. So uh, this is, uh, it's to some degree maddening in the fact that this is taking place and nobody seems to be doing anything to, to try and stop it except these clubs are left on their own. Kevin, you may want to jump in here and uh, offer some comments. Well, I think you made a great point, Warren, when you say the clubs are on their own because that's kind of the truth. The provincial group, you see the clubs not being able to to fix the plant. Like There's certain things that are very expensive in a curling club and, and the plant, the roof of the building is one that tends to have trouble and then also the plants and there's a lot, it's a lot of money and but to your point, Warren, when it comes to swimming pools and hockey rinks, um, you know, that's where I would, I would view curling a lot the same. And unfortunately, they're kind of viewed as a private golf course and a private curling club. And that's where curling has to, has to, has to change, have to become sports facilities, recreation facilities that they could be operated by a board or you could be operated by the town or city. Um, we just need to make sure that everybody's welcome into the club and you get the players coming in. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a member. I think I think those things are changing. I see that changing in Edmonton where people, you, you can come and just play a game or two. You don't have to be a member of the club. It's not a private club. And uh, some are, some are private clubs, but a, a majority, you can just come in and, and rent the ice and, and have fun. So the, the cities should be more involved. Who's going to push to be able to make these changes if it's not the provincial association? Who would it be? It has to be the provincial associations. There's nobody else who can drive this issue and and we keep losing curling clubs and it's a real shame 
Yeah. You know, the irony of all this, you know, a curling club closing, it comes at a time when the sport of curling seems to be growing massively around the world. You know, you just talked about it, Kev, with Estonia and Turkey and Italy is, you know, they're, they're firmly on, on, the, on the curling map and have been for a while. It seems ironic to me, uh, Warren, for example, that, that clubs are closing when the sport is growing. So I don't get it. Well, it's because these clubs are, they're old and the equipment that they've got inside their doors that are operating the ice plants, et cetera, needs to be replaced. And uh, a bill comes up for $75,000 and they simply don't have the funds to do it. And my fear is it's going to become uh, more common. I mean, Kevin is there in Edmonton, and we both know that a lot of those clubs in Edmonton, they're running up into the, they're getting to be 70 years plus old, a lot of them, and I'm sure running into the same kind of problems. And it's not uncommon in all the prairies and, and, and everywhere in Canada. So, I mean, to some degree, the Charlottetown Curling Club uh, last year, they went in through, through the same kind of uh, challenge. Again, it was equipment, and they couldn't afford to do it, so the, the doors closed. So this is something that the curling associations, and maybe Curling Canada has to be the one that spearheads this and pulls them all together. It's not really their responsibility, but maybe they have to be the coordinator factor of saying, hey, we got to get to these provincial governments, the fact that these curling facilities are recreation facilities, they're not private clubs, and they need to have a concern that they stay open and that their repairs are completed in a timely fashion when they need them. Right. There, I'll get off the soapbox. That's an important soapbox, Warren. It's an important soapbox you're on there. Yeah. You know, Kevin, here in Edmonton, there's these unbelievable community centers, right? With with There's, there's three or four of them. There's one over where you live in Twilliger. It's got the indoor soccer. It's got, you know, basketball, badminton, yeah, you know, with with gyms and all that. And I wonder if the day's going to come where, where curling clubs won't stand alone, that they're going to have to, you know, to appeal to the city and say, fine, you're going to open these new community centers. Make, make curling part of it. Well, and then they are part of a lot of those community centers, actually. Curling is a part of a lot of them, but not all of them. In the case of Twilliger, which is just down the street from me, uh, you've got, is it three or four hockey rinks? Something like that, um, all t- side by each, and, and a beautiful swim area and, and recreation facilities for kids and so on and so on. It's a big building. But yeah, there's no curling facility as part of it, which is too bad, especially in Edmonton. You know, we have so many curlers here, so that's a good point. But once again, you'd have to be in with the provincial and 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 uh, government and also the uh, the city government to to make that happen and that's something that I don't don't know of curling Alberta being even part of that conversation so well you need someone to you need someone to step up um, anyway there we go that's what's happening around the curling world which is uh, we thought wasn't much that's a lot uh, here we go mailbag brought to you by Nestle boost complete nutrition to fuel your day and uh, for this special edition of the Mailbag, Coyote Tractor is going to jump on board uh, in sharing and bringing you this spot. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do. We dig dirt. I enjoyed your discussion on the age situation with juniors and totally agree with Warren about it being ridiculous. My son is the lead on a top-ranked junior team in Ontario. He's 19 years old, but this will be the last year he qualifies for juniors as his birthday is in March. I find it really unfair uh, that at his young age, he'll be playing the men's game next year. If his team ended up winning Canadians, they would have to go to the Worlds without their skip as he's an overager this year and wouldn't qualify for the Worlds. My son would also likely have to play on two teams, the World Juniors team and a men's team for all of next year. It's just become way too complicated 
and the ones who suffer are the young athletes. Thanks for your time. That's Janine Van Kessel, proud mother of curler Jacob Clark. I guess I'm probably the right guy to talk about it because I lived it. When we were in junior, we won the Canadian junior, and then my team, I was young, younger, so the team aged out. So the world team, the, the team we had to go to the world junior with in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia in 86, was one team, but then I had a completely different team in junior that year to try to win Canada again. And trying to run two teams and going to school full-time, it was it was impossible. We didn't do too bad at the Worlds. We ended up getting second. Uh, we lost to Scotland in the final, but then didn't win Alberta again, lost uh, out in the provincials. It was just too difficult to try to run two teams and go to school full-time. How do you practice with two two different teams and... And, uh, you know, some of the guys had graduated, some hadn't, and oh, what a mess, you know, going all the way back to when I was a kid. And then it, they got rid of it for a long, long time. And then here it is back again somehow. And, uh, it's, you know, I guess it's kind of cool to be the champ for a year <laughs> before you go, but, but logistically it's a, it's a disaster for the athletes. Um, so I appreciate the email. Thanks for, uh, for sending it in because for the athletes, uh, it, it it's really hard. Should a curler have to choose uh, whether they curl juniors or men's and that's all they're allowed to do and not be flip-flopping back and forth? Well, as Kevin mentioned, I was uh, I lived this for about 15 years because uh, it was in place for about 1975 till 1995, I guess 20 years. And it was never-ending issues uh, with exactly what Kevin has explained. And, of course, the comment always, well, it's only a couple of players. But, no, it's it's a team. It's four players. And uh, there's other there's another junior team that's going to be impacted and possibly a men's team. And so it's impacting a lot. And uh, I also I want to thank all the people who have sent us emails. Every time we bring this topic up, we get a lot of response and a lot of very unhappy people with what's in place. So I hope someone's taking note of that. I think where things are getting confused, you know, there are not a lot of teams in Canada, just like men's and women's, that are going to be capable of representing Canada at the world stage. I think the confusion we have here, where again, we're applying a, a formula to the masses that maybe only needs to be applied to uh, a few top players. And again, I think kicking a junior out into the world right now at the age of 20 into the men's and women's world as well is just way too early. And if anything, I think that junior age, as I've said before, needs to be increased to possibly 22. They need to sort this out because, again, the way it's set right now, it's it's not going to do anybody any good. And the other thing, a part of it all as well, when is it going to become a mixed doubles juniors? Um, how are we ever going to encourage uh, young people to play mixed doubles if there's no championship for that particular discipline? I turned my furnace off, boys, to do the show because it makes too much noise, and it's minus 35. And, uh, and yeah, you're now, cold. Now I have dedicated <laughs> ice on my kitchen floor. <laughs> Kev, come on over. We'll throw a few stones, okay? Thank you, Janine, from Janine to Janice. Uh, here's our second email. There are a lot of components in making a curling shot. When a shot is not made to perfection, why do commentators always say, that the throw was too light or too heavy or missed the broom or sweepers were not on it, et cetera, et cetera. They never say the skip made the <laughs> They never say the skip may have given the wrong ice. These players are so good at weight control and accuracy. Maybe these misses were not their fault, Kevin. Maybe it was your fault all along, Kevin, when you missed shots. I would like to hear why broom placement and missed shots is never discussed. <laughs> 
Uh, I had a really good laugh. By I was sitting by myself when I when I read this email. And I started laughing because it this it's never the skip's fault. <laughs> it's always the sweeper's fault. The sweepers always goof up the shots. That's clearly that's the way it is. It's funny. Oh my goodness! So what a great email. Thank you. Uh, no, it is the skip's fault quite often actually. Um, but uh, that's not the way the skips look at it. <laughs> I resemble that. I resemble that comment. I resemble that remark. Kevin, it's, or Warren, it's like golf. You know, if you ever see a golfer go bad, okay, it's his caddy's fault. If he hits a great shot, it was all the golfer. It was never the caddy, you know. So uh, what do you think, Warren? <laughs> Blame the skips, Warren, or not? Well, well there's, there's two skips who never, who never made a mistake, and one was Hector Gervais, and I hear the other one's Kevin Martin. But he was yep. tutored by Hector. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know what, Warren? Warren, I worked with Hector. I don't know if people know this, but um, I made ice at the Avenir Curling Club when I got out of school. So this was a long time ago. And Hector, for a couple of years, was the manager. So we worked together, two horribly stubborn people. And gee, we'd get in some fights. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I really, I really got along. Uh, we we'd get in big fights, but we were really close friends. And uh, I did learn a lot from Hexervay. To be that is an honest truth. And we yeah. worked together for a couple of years, and I, I I got a lot out of it and really enjoyed it. But man, did we get in some fights? Unreal. Oh, he was a classic. I gotta tell I gotta tell a quick story because this fits right in here. So. We're playing on arena ice, and back in our days, the, the arena ice, uh, there was a strip down the middle, and as you got towards the house, um, you'd start to fan out a little bit more. But when the rock crossed into that area of secondary where if you didn't anticipate the sweeping before you hit it, the rock was gone. So he lets this rock go, and uh, I'm looking at the speed of it and where the break is coming. I'm trying to sweep it. And he hollers, whoa. I keep sweeping. He hollers, whoa. I still keep sweeping. I hear this, God damn it, whoa. <laughs> so I pull back the broom. Okay, whoa. Rock goes about five feet, dives. So Daryl Sutton and I kind of pull over to the side as he's coming down the ice, down the center behind the rock. And as he's going by, as he says, you guys got to learn to think for yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Yeah. I, we got to, there must be some footage, Kev. There must be some footage. When you were curling with one of the other boys, you know, your, your your lead second or third who looked at you and said, your fault, Kevin. I would love to see your reaction, Kev, during that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I had some great ones with Don Bartlett and Ben Hebert. And I had some beauties that uh, would, would, would try out, yeah, would set me straight. Yep. Sure. Uh, very good. Uh, thank you, Janice. I am Zach in Yorkton. Although we need uh, the best teams, to be in the Briar and the Scotties, I feel that we still need the provinces to be represented. As I love cheering for Team Saskatchewan, could Curling Canada and the provincial organizations look into where the team makes its home base? Regardless of residency, I feel that could be the best way to work around this issue while also adding the top teams in Canada with the provinces. What do you think? And that's Zach. Not the first time we've had this question, Warren. You know, if, if, if we're going to continue with this provincial territorial thing, I think what it needs to come down to, quite frankly, is uh, a team declares at some point in the year which province uh, they're going to play out of, and, and uh, that's it. This idea of birthrights and one player can be an import, and, and it goes on and on. I think the only thing may be uh, the provincial association can say they want to accept the following or they don't, but I think 
that would make it a lot simpler than the way it is now. And the fact is, we know very well, if somebody wants to get around the current rules, they will. So why not make it simple and just say, determine which province you're going to play out of, and that's it. That's my opinion. Kevin? <laughs> well, the only thing that matters to me, it, it, it fine, you, whatever, however they want to work it. I just want to be sure that our, our top six or eight teams are in the national championship, no matter what. You can put a, a provincial jacket on them out of some pr- province. That's okay. Um, but as long as they're there, we need, in order to get on the podium now, we need our top teams in the national championship to have the best chance to get on a podium at the international level. That's, that, that's what's really important. Now, if it, if it turns out to be a certain uh, jacket, um, that, that's really up to, the, up to Curling Canada. But as we need to make sure that a top team isn't left at home because of where they, where they live. Yeah. That that's what matters to me. Just let the provinces in. I agree with you, Kevin. Let them in, but don't but don't not let in really good teams. We got to have our top six or eight. Uh, we're 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 to, we're having trouble getting on the podium as it is. Um, we don't want to we don't want to tie up our, our curlers anymore. We need to let them into these events and make sure that our top teams are are part of it. And and I really think that. Uh, when, you know, when teams like we talked about Reed Crothers earlier, uh, you know, all of a sudden you've got some top players now available. Well, are they only available if you come from Manitoba? Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, somebody from somewhere else might want to team up with Reed Crothers and have a good chance of going to the world championships. Um, and that, that's what we should want as a sport. Our top players going to worlds and getting on that podium. Right. Many people agree with you. We've got another email here from Daniel Wenzek. Basically, Daniel believes the bond spill system in Canada and the world needs to be set up with a feeder system so there's a clear path for a young player to move up the ranks. Uh, Here's what he said. I don't believe specifics of events need to be discussed, but the current structure needs to be changed. I believe the current system does not work for most teams to rise through the ranks and cost too much for the average team to find success. In essence, I propose a system where local events feed to an elite challenger event which feeds into an elite event, similar to how playdowns work, just on a larger scale. Open challenger events are open to all and round out the season to gain points, give teams the option of where and how they earn their way. I've already talked to potential event organizers, and they've said that a special carrot for teams to chase will drive entries up and increase their desire to host events. That makes sense, Kevin? Sure. You know what? I think we should have uh, maybe on on the show uh, people that are putting together a players group and uh, and a, a players type tour and have players be in charge of these tours so they can decide on how things are going to be built. So I think, uh, Daniel, this uh, this podcast will be really, really good for uh, for that explanation with Rylan Hartley and Nicodine and the group from around the world who are thinking about exactly this talking to all the different groups around the world, getting the schedules figured out so we can have a feeder system and bringing, uh, you know, the, uh, the thoughts of people like Tanner Horgan from the next, uh, next gen group to, uh, to exactly worry about this. So this is, it's your, your email couldn't have been more perfect timed than to come on this show today, because, uh, I thought we did a pretty good job of covering it with Ryland Hartley and Nicodine. Yeah, I can see the method. Warren picked these emails. I can see the method to your madness, Warren. Uh, like, there's just so many things that you guys have spoken to and the emailers that we get. Curling, the, the, the junior age thing, the provincial boundaries, the the cresting, the money, the travel, et cetera. Um, there, there's so much that needs to be done, Warren. Um, 
What do you think of what our young emailer had to say? I think he's dead on. And uh, we have to develop a better system for how people do come up through the ranks. Right now, again, it's all left to chance. And again, there's really no system. But I believe down the road, there has to be a clear tier two. And there's got to be a way of going from tier two to tier one. There probably has to be a tier three tour in place that probably has to be a national one versus international. Maybe tier tier two even has an international flavor to it, but tier three doesn't. And it's how we bring up young teams to the ranks. And this is one of the things that Canada right now really doesn't have in place. If we take a look around the world, everybody says, oh, those European teams, they're just the, the top team is the only one in place. Uh, not so. If you look at particularly Scotland and Switzerland right now, they've got some very young players that are right behind those guys that are winning, and they're even making enough points to get into the Grand Slams. I don't see any real teams from the Canadian level, maybe a couple in Alberta that are doing that. But again, there's there's no approach or system that's really allowing them to progress. And their chances of getting into the briar, because they've got to go against Cooey and Botcher, are, are not very good because they're not going to have enough points to probably get in there in, in the ranking side of things. So there has to be... Uh, an approach taken, and it is again because we're trying to mix everything into one basket here. The people moving down that high performance aspect have to be shown an avenue to get there. And then there's got to be an avenue below that where you play as a participant, you work your way through, and if you then have the desire to go to the next step, you do. But right now, it's it's just kind of hodgepodge. Everything's le- out there left to chance. And uh, as a result, a young team right now in Canada, I think, has a very difficult time coming up through the ranks. There's our mailbag. Uh, we do it each and every uh, week. Thank you very much to Rod Paulson at In-House Strategies for all the great work he does. He organizes the emails and and he arranges uh, things on our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Check it out if you haven't joined. Uh, there's lots of action on that. We'd love to hear from you uh, and your opinions on uh, what's going on around the curling world. It, it uh, makes this show zing. Uh, you can send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thanks a lot to our sponsors as we wind down the calendar year. Sports Interaction, Coyote, uh, Boost, and Goldline, who make this show possible. Uh, So here it is, our last show, fellas. Happy New Year to everyone on behalf of Sportsnet. uh, For all the guys who uh, put this show together, including you, Kevin, and you, Warren, uh, all the best in the new year. Uh, We'll talk to everyone on the other side. And oh my God. Throw, honey, throw a little more water on the rocks. I'm freezing in here, okay? <laughs> uh, take it easy, Warren. Happy New Year to my friends. Uh, and you too, Kev. Have a good Christmas. Uh, you bet. Thanks, Jimmy. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, Jim, and to all our lovely listeners around the world. See you in 2023. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.